0: No necessary Void prohibited by law plus terms and conditions apply See website for details. Hey, this is Henry Grabar. What next is on vacation and they asked me to pick a favorite episode for an encore. I like the one that I recorded in April about the global crisis and recycling. I was thinking about it recently because I was in Jackson, Mississippi, which just decided to end its curbside recycling program. The recycling crisis is ongoing, and this episode, I think, still functions as a good explainer of what's going on. Now here's the show. It must be just torture for you to be in public spaces. I mean, when you're in an airport and you're sitting next to a recycling bin. Ugh,
1: drives me crazy.
0: This is Melissa Johnson.
1: I always describe our solid waste recycling waste reduction family as an incestuous group of individuals passionate about garbage.
0: <laughs> Melissa spends a lot of time thinking about recycling and garbage. It's her job. It's her life. She's the president of the Associated Recyclers of Wisconsin. She's the director of Solid Waste Disposal in Marathon County, 100 miles north of Madison. Her email sign-off is in Latin. Nā ipsa scientia potestas est. Knowledge is power, especially when you share it with random people at the airport.
1: You can ask my granddaughter about the conversations I have with strangers about recycling, right?
0: Um, <laughs> She's like, "No, she grandma, not not again."
1: <laughs> yeah, not again.
0: Well, here we go again. How did you come to be someone who, uh, as you say, loved garbage?
1: Well, I that's a good story. I actually I was waiting for to get a at the
0: Atlanta airport. Melissa got to talking to two women from Beirut things. about what she does for a living.
1: And when it was my turn, I mentioned that my job is to manage waste materials. And the one woman looked at me and she grabbed my arm and she just pleaded with me. She goes, "We need someone like you to come to Lebanon to help us with our, our garbage problem." And I looked at her and I said, well, surely you have other, you know, more important things in in Lebanon to deal with. And she looked at me and she said, no, you don't realize that affects people's lives every day. She goes, yours is a noble profession.
0: That must have been so gratifying.
1: It was. It it really was.
0: Melissa's been in the recycling industry for more than a decade, on board with what until recently looked like a national environmental success story. Americans were recycling more than ever by 2015, but in 2017, something happened. China announced that it would severely limit the amount of paper and plastic that it bought from the rest of the world. That policy was called National Sword, and it upended the American recycling system as we knew it. When China announced the National Sword policy, what was the reaction at your office?
1: Um, Horror?
0: Horror? Because for years, China used American waste paper to build things like boxes. They used old Coke bottles to manufacture polyester shirts. Because labor was cheap, they didn't much care about the quality of the recycling. And because they didn't care, American recyclers didn't care either. The stuff we sent over was increasingly full of trash.
1: I had a presentation with a group of uh, uh, seniors at a senior living facility last week. And oh my gosh, they wanted to recycle everything. And I, I had to tell them that even though those things look like they're recyclable, they are not for the bin. You know, take your plastic bags to a location where you can drop them off. And from there, they can be reused or sent off for recycling, but they don't go in the bin.
0: China was tired of doing the sorting that you, me, and the seniors of central Wisconsin were not. So in March of 2018, They shut the door. American recyclers were caught flat-footed. Cardboard piled up in Seattle and wound up in a landfill. Philadelphia sent its recycling to the incinerator. Dozens of cities stopped collecting, full stop. But Melissa says our problem with recycling goes back way before national sort.
1: We don't think about our garbage. We hide our landfills away. We hide our recycling facilities away because people don't want to be connected with their garbage. And when you do that, when you magically pick it up at the curb and it goes away, you know, the little garbage elves or the little recycling elves take it away and everybody's happy. Well, you created a disconnect with the producers of the garbage and what happens after that.
0: What happens after that is the journey we're going on today. It'll take us from your sidewalk to the international trash market, to Beijing, to the Indus River Valley, and back home again. I'm Henry Grabar. Jumping into the host seat for the day, and this is What Next. Stay with us.
1: This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
0: China didn't always buy our recycling. Trade ramped up in the early aughts as the country's exploding manufacturing sector found that it couldn't get enough raw materials. So they found a low-cost substitute our recyclables. A Chinese garment factory that might once have made blue jeans with cotton from Pakistan could instead use polyester from your old Coke bottles. But it wouldn't be entirely fair to blame Chinese demand for America's low-quality recycling. It turns out that China's boom coincided with a new practice in the United States, one that was ostensibly designed to encourage recycling, but was really just a way to save money.
1: It started with probably a little more than two decades ago when we Um, split from source-separated recycling, so where you put the tin cans in one container, where you put the newspapers in another, and the glass jars in another container. And then we went with uh, dual stream, you know, keeping the tin cans and the jars all together and keeping all the paper fibers together. Then we transitioned to single stream recycling, and we said, just put all of the stuff in one bin. We'll make it easy for you because we had access to those markets, China, Indonesia, Vietnam, who were willing to take whatever we sent them. Mm -hmm. And we lost touch with the fact that in our very own kitchens, our very own bathrooms or bedrooms, wherever we're throwing our recyclables out, we lost touch with the fact that we have a responsibility for a level of quality control. To make the system work, we all have to take responsibility
0: for it. Only we didn't take responsibility for it. And for years that was okay because China would take all the crud.
1: So yeah, China said, send it to us and they were processing it, but more and more, we started sending China and the other countries bales of recyclables that actually were filled with garbage and unusable product. And after a while, it was costing them money because now they had to dispose of it, whether that was in a landfill or incinerate it. And what they wanted was the recyclable so that they could send it to their paper mills to make us new cardboard boxes so they could send us new products. Well, you can't do that if you're sending a bunch of basically crap.
0: I mean, can you talk about a little bit about what the maybe let's go back to basics Um, when single stream recycling gets picked up at the curb, as I assume it does in Marathon County, what happens next?
1: Well, it's probably the same as it does in any other city or state in this nation or in Canada or anywhere else. The materials are collected by the truck. Of course, you've seen them with the big arms, or you could see someone, you know, with a cart dumping it in the back, whichever, you know, type of uh, system is being used for collection.
0: And all this stuff that gets collected, it goes to something called a material recovery facility. That's known in the business as a MRF.
1: And what those are, are the places where we use human power, so people standing on sort lines sorting out the materials so the cardboard the newspaper the mixed paper the magazines the tin cans the steel or the aluminum cans glass jars they are baled up into bales weighing sometimes up to 1000 1500 pounds from there they are sent off to either a broker who will sell them out to the end user a paper mill a foundry a plastic extruder or they will go directly to the source that's going to use them to make new products.
0: So uh, at the end of the day, cities are turning what you put on the curbside into basically a commodity, bales of plastic, bales of aluminum, bales of cardboard. Has this operation typically been profitable for municipalities?
1: Yeah, you are selling a commodity. And every farmer in this country knows what it's like to sell a commodity. Sometimes hogs pay pretty good and sometimes hogs don't pay very good at all.
0: So right now we are at a point where commodity prices are pretty low for what you're putting out here, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So how has that changed since National Sword went into effect? What has been the effect like in dollar terms for what you're trying to sell, which is recyclable plastic, cardboard, paper and so forth?
1: Well, there was there was a clear drop in the market after National Sword was, was implemented.
0: How, how, bad, how bad was it?
1: It went from, you know, you might be selling, have been selling, let's say, cardboard at $175 a ton. And after National Sword, it could have gone down to as low as $20 a ton. Oh, wow. So there was a clear drop. But what has happened since then is, you know, everybody kind of regrouped.
0: Mm-hmm. We
1: all stepped back and said, what do we really want to focus on? What is what is our most valuable commodity that will ensure that we can get by and sustain so that we can get beyond this? And we focused on number one and two plastics. We focused on tin cans, aluminum cans, glass jars, you know, cardboard, newspaper, magazine, office paper, mixed paper.
0: Those are kind of your best products.
1: Yes. So the other things like, you know, gable top packaging and aseptic packaging, your gable top is like your, you know, heavy cream container, your half and half container, and your aseptic packaging is like your juice boxes. There are some markets nationally for those, but it isn't available in all areas. Well, for a long time in Wisconsin, we tried to grow that market, but it wasn't as successful as we thought. So we backed away from some of those things that were a little more challenging and focused, basically got back to the basics.
0: Have you seen prices rebound for some of these goods that you're trying to unload? Obviously, after National Sword came, there was this huge drop. You were saying things went down 80%, 90% drop in in, in the value of what you were selling. Has that changed since then?
1: Yeah, the, the markets are starting to come back. Steel is starting to pick up. Plastics are starting to pick up a bit. Paper, paper remained fairly strong in Wisconsin, and here's why. Wisconsin is a paper-making state. You know, the Midwest Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa, Illinois, Michigan. We were, I think, not as hard hit as some of the other parts of the country. Why not? Because we had the end users who were fairly close to us.
0: So you're saying you were... And
1: they had consistent demand.
0: You were less dependent on the East Asian markets than a place like California?
1: That is correct. Years ago, when the Chinese market really started ramping up, China was paying a premium for paper. And a lot of my colleagues running MRFs, they grabbed onto that and they said, we want the premium. We're going to make the money now. And I, I just felt uneasy about that because I felt a, sort of a social connection with the industries here in Wisconsin so that they could remain strong. And even though those paper mills couldn't pay me the premium that China was offering, I stayed with the domestic mills.
0: And Melissa wasn't the only one. Despite all the hubbub about China, all the stories about the end of recycling, most of our recycling has stayed right here in the USA the whole time. We tend to think of recycling as an idea in which we are deeply, perhaps morally invested. But recycling is also a thing. It's a thing that moves through a supply chain full of buyers and sellers whose interests are often at odds. In fact, for the past 18 months, recycled commodities have been so cheap that a crazy thing is happening. Chinese companies are opening up processing plants in the United States. Paper mills in West Virginia and Maine. Plastic extruders in Alabama and South Carolina. It sounds like good news. Melissa says, not so fast.
1: Every time I go to do a presentation or meet with a legislator, I always ask them, what is the first of the three R's? Are you asking me? I am.
0: Uh, It's reduce.
1: Yes. But we keep wanting to do figure out how to recycle more, divert materials from the landfill, what we should be doing is reducing first. Do we really need that new iPhone? Do we really need three heads of lettuce because they're three for a dollar when we only need one head of lettuce? Those are the behavioral choices that people have to start making.
0: You mentioned making Americans more aware of the waste disposal process. Any ideas about how that might work practically?
1: What we do, and, and this is how my my department, my team, and I have approached it. We invite people to come out to our landfill. We have even bought a bus that's handicap accessible, so that we can actually put a group of people on a bus, and it's almost like a tour.
0: I'm sure that's a hot ticket.
1: Actually, it is. We take a lot of tours, and now that we can get wheelchairs on there, people are very excited about it. The first thing out of their mouth, almost always, is, "I had no idea."
0: You see it as a kind of uh, an epiphany. People have an epiphany when they get out there by the heap of garbage.
1: Yes. Yes. These facilities are awesome. They're amazingly highly engineered. They're very critical to our society, yet nobody knows anything about them.
0: Uh, Well, they will now. Yay. All right. Uh, Well, Melissa, thank you so much for taking a minute to chat with me about recycling. You're welcome. Melissa Johnson is the director of the Marathon County Solid Waste Department in central Wisconsin, and she's the president of the Associated Recyclers of Wisconsin. It's a state nonprofit focused on waste reduction and recycling. And that's it for today's show. Producing, editing, and mixing was done today by the fantastic What Next team. That's Jason DeLeon, Mary Wilson, and Anna Martin. And until next time, I'm Henry Grabar. Thank you for listening.